Hello, and welcome to the Upper Bowl GM podcast. As always, it's your host, Nick Sararis. We are here early in baseball season. This is a barometer check, a thermometer check, a wellness check on one of my friends and her favorite team, the Chicago Cubs, a team that came into this year with an interesting outlook, we'll call it, in a nice way. We'll say an interesting outlook, clearly a team in a different stage of their roster construction, won the World Series back in 2016, and it's been a downward trajectory ever since, and we're here to kind of unpack what it's like being a fan of a team that's won and coming to terms with the fact that your team isn't actively trying to get better right now, that some familiar faces might end up having to leave in free agency or trades in hopes of making the team better in the future, that ownership might want to try and save a little bit of money in the immediate present in hopes of eventually being able to build a more competitive team down the line and having less financial commitments when the time comes to have to go out and make a trade for a big name or to sign a star player in free agency or to give one of your homegrown players an extension of their own. So we have a lot to talk about the Chicago Cubs on today's show. But before I get to the show, do have to remind everyone, please help grow the show. Whatever podcasting platform you use, whether it's Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Audioloop, any platform where you can listen to podcasts, this podcast is on. Hit the little follow or subscribe button. If you're on Apple Podcasts, take the extra minute, go to the show's page, go to the bottom. There are going to be five clear stars. Hit the one furthest to the right. That's leaving a five-star review. Beneath that is a little button that has purple writing. It says write a review. If you have the extra minute, please leave a written review. It would mean the world. We're trying here. Original content that is not just empty platitudes is not easy to come by. It isn't, and I'm trying my absolute best. And I love doing the show. I love talking to people about their favorite teams. And the shared psychosis we all have as sports fans is the way I like to describe it. I should have a blog up on Gotham SN either Thursday or Friday about why the Rangers just punting on the fourth line and third defensive pair is a problem. Uh, if you're playing 60 minutes a night, you're playing about 48 of it at even strength. And of those 48 minutes, 11 or 12 of those 48 minutes is just a punt because the guys on the ice can't do anything. That's a problem. The other team is going to get some goals. You're going to lose if the other team is scoring more goals than you. That's the way sports work. If they have more points than you, you lose. They have more goals, more runs, you lose. It's a beautiful way to transition to today's show. The Cubs won the World Series back in 2016, like I said in the first part of the introduction here. You remember, they won the World Series, Trump got elected, it opened the bizarro parallel timeline where we went through that really bad four and a half years, and we're on the other side of it now. Uh, It remains to be seen if things are actually getting better or if it's just, uh, we need the Cubs to win the World Series again to send everything back to normal a second time. The Cubs are one of those teams, as a baseball fan, you you learn the mythos. As a kid, you learn the lore. Then win a World Series for 108 years. The curse of the Billy Goat, Wrigley Field, Wrigleyville, the lovable losers, the north side of Chicago, go Cubs go, the fly the W flag. All of that stuff is steeped in baseball lore. And with that, I will see you guys 
the other side of the drop. Here's the 0-1. This is going to be a tough play. Bryant, the Cubs! And with that, I welcome on one of my very good friends, someone who is living in fear of what the Chicago Bears are going to do with the 20th overall pick in tomorrow's NFL draft. One of the hosts of the Basically Baseball podcast. How are we doing, Maddie? I'm good. Actually, that's a lie. The Cubs suck. <laughs> I'm not, <that's> not good. <laughs> Between the Cubs and the Bears, you've got a lot on your plate at the moment for impending emotional doom. There's a lot that could go wrong very quickly. I know. Um, I'm in a Cubs group chat and someone said, I'm putting a lot of like, I'm really putting my faith into Ryan Pace to make me feel better tomorrow. And I was like, that's what, (laughs) that's really what it's come to. (laughs) Oh, that poor sweet summer child. You got a mean storm coming. I would not count on Ryan Pace for anything. We're here to talk about the Cubs. I want to start with the most obvious. I mean, they won the World Series. They exercised the demon that the Cubs are so steeped in baseball lore. I talked about it a little bit in the introduction before you jumped on the call. Everybody, when you get into baseball, you learn the, the history. You, you learn the important things that they won the World Series in 1908. The curse of the Billy Goat, the fly the W, being the lovable losers, Harry Terry, the people in the bleachers taking their shirt off, Ferris Bueller's day off. You learn all of these things when you're learning about baseball as a kid growing up. And then to finally see them actually win the World Series was one of the most incredible sports moments, I think, of my life. Like, I remember exactly where I was. I remember, wow, Rizzo put the ball in his back pocket. I wonder what he's going to do with that. Like, I vividly remember that moment because I it's not an exaggeration to say I was waiting my entire life to see it happen. Yeah. Um, okay. First of all, one thing about Rizzo putting the ball in his back pocket, he did the exact same thing in game six of the NLCS when the Cubs won the pennant on the final out. So he was just doing it again. And I thought that was, that was so cool. Um, no, you're definitely right. I remember exactly what I was doing, where I was when the Cubs won the world series. Um, Nick, you know, Melissa, don't you? Yes. Okay. I was on FaceTime with her. Seriously. We were watching the game together because my parents had, pissed me off they made me so mad after after the project davis home run um i went to my room and i was like you know i'm just gonna watch the rest of the game by myself and then i ended up calling melissa during the rain delay and we watched the rest of it on facetime together and so i was on the phone with her and finally that happened i was oh my god like my soul left my body (laughs) you reached the higher the higher plane of existence you you felt what it was like to be alive for a couple minutes there yeah no like talking about it and then remembering how the Cubs are doing like at this very moment. (laughs) It's a a jarring juxtaposition. And I I think it's really an interesting thing I've explored on a number over a number of different teams on this podcast is what a team does after they've won already. Cause I think that's the most interesting part of team building aside from when you're starting all the way at the beginning like the Mm -hmm. Cubs were way back 2010, 11-ish, when they started getting pieces that eventually became part of their core, is what you do after you win. And the Cubs had a few good cracks at it. I I went back and looked through the baseball reference. I mean, 2015, they go to the NLCS, they lose. They win the World Series. They go to the NLCS again and lose. They get to the wild card game. 
and then they don't make the playoffs, and then they lose in the wild card game last year. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good window. I, I talk about it a lot that it takes a lot of things to break right to win a championship, but to make it to the final four twice, three times total, and then win the World Series one of those three tries with your best shot at it from a team building perspective, I feel like you can't complain. I feel like that's a reasonable we did our best. We had four real tries at winning a World Series. We won it one of the four times. I feel like that's a reasonable plan. I feel like as a fan, you can accept that. Um, honestly, yes. This the thing is, like, obviously, we wanted more. And with this team, I think we should have had more other than just like one title. Like, I think the thing with our window, like I said, we could have done more with it. But I mean, it's just now it's at the point where obviously a lot of these guys are definitely on the trade block come the deadline or the off season. Um, We're just losing so many guys and it's just time to rebuild, like reevaluate what this team needs to be because obviously this core has been together for so long and it's just not working out anymore, which sucks. But like I said, um, I was wanting more out of our competitive window and I was, I go in especially like after 2015, I've been going into every season, like really optimistic because like I said, this core has essentially been the exact same. So I'm like, you know what, this team, I know this team, they can do, I know what they can do, but obviously they can't do that anymore. So it's, it's time to move on. (laughs) It's complicated. That's one of the most difficult things as a sports fan to come to terms with these guys who have been in your life for years and years in baseball, especially because it's literally every day for six and a half months. Every day you come home from work, you come home from school. It's a one o'clock on a Sunday, you're home, you have the day off. I'm going to watch baseball. It's one of those things where they become part of your existence. Like when David Wright stopped being able to play baseball, that was like losing a family member. Like it's, difficult to understand for people who don't follow sports the way us lunatics do I can't imagine like being that committed to something that isn't like another person like are you that upset if someone dies on Grey's Anatomy like I just don't get it Mm -hmm. um from someone that like there's absolutely nothing that like absolutely touches my soul the way sports do I do have other things that I like totally love and since you mentioned grades yes a few <laughs> grades deaths have affected me but um I was sad for like 10 minutes and I moved on but the emotions that I've had being a sports fan not just a baseball fan but in general I mean I'm a Bears fan I've gone through a lot I watched the double doing cabin <laughs> it's um it's something that definitely has more of a grab on my mind and on my whole emotions and it just affects me and honestly sports made me the person I am today I have so many connections through like just being a sports lunatic like you said um, I have such a connection to the sport in the pecking and, order in your pecking order baseball's first yeah so my pecking order it's baseball football specifically college football and then NFL and then I just got into basketball this season so Probably gonna put probably gonna put the NBA, but college actually I don't know. I'm going to KU next year, so I think I have to put college basketball above the NBA if I'm going to be watching the KU basketball games at Allen Fieldhouse. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, that a nice humble brag, a nice humble brag. You got to get it out of the way. You'll, I'm sure you'll. <laughs> What'd you say? 
It's a little bit of a humble brag. I'm excited. You should be. That's an awesome life experience. So circling back around baseball-wise, what's your earliest memory of the Cubs? Uh, my earliest memory of the Cubs was, it was like 2008 when they okay. were playing Dodgers and then LDS. Oh okay. how, how old was I? I was five and in kindergarten. <laughs> I think I just made you feel old, but whatever. That's not the point. No, I was in kindergarten. And I remember wearing a Cub shirt to school when that series was going on. And that's probably one of my earliest memories. What's another, another one? Other than that is probably my first Cubs game at Wrigley. Um, I went and saw them play the Brewers in 2011. I meant Prince Fielder. He gave me a high five because <laughs> he was still with the Brewers at that point. <laughs> I mean, I've been oh. to Wrigley twice and... It's kind of like an out-of-body experience. It's like stepping into a time machine. You're kind of just looking around at everything and being like, wow, this is like being in 100 years ago. This is yeah. the weirdest thing. It's like that at Fenway, too, where you're just kind of like, I'm in a movie. Like, this doesn't feel like a baseball stadium. What are we doing here? But I, it's one of the most incredible things. I mean, Wrigley, especially because you got Wrigleyville around it and you've got that the built-in culture of just the dude bros everywhere as far as the eye can see just living in the bleachers is the right way to put it because those people are like laid out their backs on the metal bleachers that have been laying in the sun all day passed out drunk sunburned to all hell and it's just one of the great sights that we don't really have in baseball anymore it's one of the really unique things where Wrigley Fenway that's in Dodger Stadium I'll say really still unique baseball stadiums Oh yeah, for sure. Um, Fenway is the, on my list. I want to see every stadium, but Fenway is the one that's like really important to, to me that I go to because it's just so historical and unique. And with a lot of our newer stadiums with teams, whenever they've like rebuilt, like um, first one that comes to mind, this isn't even a, <laughs> a this at the Cardinals because I hate them. But I mean, like with Bush stadium, it's not like unique exactly just because it's so new. And I just feel like with that same, I get the same experience if I go watch pretty much any other team play. Um, another stadium I really like, I really like Kaufman. I think Kaufman is a really good experience if you're going to watch a baseball game. But other than that, there's really a, just a few teams that still have stadiums that I think I don't know how to word it but are unique they're they're yeah i i completely like say yeah i wasn't trying to say like unique a ton of times and like repeat myself but like that's the word i can use because that's just how it like how i describe it i mean that's one of the things that's special about baseball is that you know back in the day you used to make your lineup around your stadium because every stadium was different like the yankees would always load up their lineup with lefties the red Sox would always load up with righties to try and pull the ball off the monster that was part of the strategy of baseball back in the day when you only had a city block to build your stadium on. And I agree with you. Kaufman, always visually cool. That's on the list. The one that was weirdly good that I actually really liked was Rogers Center. I don't know what the hell they're calling it now, The where the Blue Jays play. I don't is, it not still, is it not still Rogers Center? I thought it was. I don't know. The sponsorship has changed a number of times. Oh. In my, but yeah, the, the, where the Blue Jays play is an interesting stadium because – the roof closes, 
the skyline is so nice. The CN Tower is right there. That was a good experience. And I will say it's kind of a dump now, but Progressive Field is still kind of cool because it's like being in a time machine like the other ones because it's so damn old. That's a stadium from the 40s, and the Indians are not going to get a new stadium because the municipality is just not going to pay for it. That's one of the few unique ones that's still left. Um, another one that I actually really loved, um, out of all the ones I've been to, this is my second favorite. Uh, I love Coors. I absolutely I've love I've heard good things. It's so cool. And it's up in the mountains. Like, you can see the mountains. And then, obviously, um, maybe it was just the time of year I went, but it wasn't, like, too hot or anything. Like, I went in June, and I was, like, it's like 60 degrees. Felt awesome. It's on the list. Baseball is one of those things where the stadiums are supposed to be part of the story, part of the experience. And like we've said, it's kind of, it's a shame that they're losing their uniqueness and they're all becoming the same cookie cutter, general, same well-rounded outfield that all ebbs nicely into the middle. Like I wish the Astros would bring back the stupid hill that was in center field most of my childhood. The outfielders would have to run up and then they would always end up falling backward down. Like I remember Jim Edmonds running up it and trying to make a diving catch and it not going particularly well for him. Like weird quirks like that. That's part of the, the charm. Baseball is a stupid sport and you got to embrace it. Oh, I know. Baseball, literally the fact that anything can happen in baseball and that's like the dumbest things can happen. It's kind of why I like it so much. <laughs> like just. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so circling back, let's, let's start dealing with the emotions of the Cubs in the present day. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the biggest problem with the team right now? The... Take your time. This is a complicated question. There's probably more than one answer. For the past couple of seasons, like having a consistent offense mm-hmm. has been a huge issue for us. And then especially now after trading Darvish and losing Lester in the offseason, our starting pitching is struggling. Obviously, Kyle Hendricks is not throwing well right now, and he's our best guy. So, and even like your best guy is struggling, then you know your starting pitching has to have something like fixed. Like there's something wrong. So, really, Cubs just have a lot of issues. <laughs> okay. So, let's start with the first part of this. Do you think it's a matter of just the guys on the team aren't playing well but for whatever reason, but the talent is there? that the the roster has talent to be competitive. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Yes. Um, I said this earlier, like the thing is, I know this team, I know what this team can do and I know how good they can be. I mean, this is a team with Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras. And when they don't put up the numbers that I've literally seen them put up, it's frustrating because you know what they can do. Like you've seen them do it. Okay. So going off of that a little bit, Obviously, the, t- the times have changed. They, there was clearly a mandate in the offseason to shed some salary. It's why they traded Darvish. They didn't get a ton in return. The Cubs have notably been one of the teams to kind of manipulate service time on purpose to try and save money here and there. Do you think it's really just a matter of the team realizing we don't have a chance of winning the World Series, so it doesn't really matter what happens kind of deal? Yes. Honestly, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's complicated because it's not like in football where you just suck for three months and your season's over and you go to the draft in the spring and you get to 
tout your here's our new quarterback here's our new edge rusher here's our new wide receiver let's yeah. be excited baseball you have to be miserable for six and a half months and if you don't spend money in free agency you unless you have someone in the pipeline that's been brewing for three and a half four years there's no immediate relief it's very hard to get good in baseball quickly oh yeah for sure and um with all the prospects we got in the Darvish trade, I'm actually pretty excited about it. I'm not like excited, but I'm hopeful because I wrote something about that a couple months ago, like right when it happened. And I think they're going to end up being like really valuable to us. But like you said, you can't just be good in baseball fast, you know, like, and honestly, that's something I kind of like about baseball. The fact that you're not just throwing in these guys straight out of college, <laughs> like on a professional level, and they get to fully develop on amateur levels through the minor leagues. And honestly, like I said, that's just something I appreciate with baseball. And then from a fan's perspective, going to minor league games is so fun. Yeah. <laughs> you get to see a lot of guys before they get to come up. And you get to talk to a lot of guys that you probably wouldn't have gotten to talk to if they were in the majors. And you don't necessarily always get that experience um, at a professional level. And so that's why I like the minor leagues. I know that's like, <laughs> I know that's like a total like tangent. Like I just completely like flip topics, but. That's part of the romance of baseball is, you know, minor league baseball is part of that, the story. It's part of the legend. Like these, you have such a long and arduous journey. I mean, there's how many movies about guys being stuck in minor league baseball and what that's like. I mean, that's part of the reason Bill Dur Bull Durham holds up as a baseball movie is oh, people. <laughs> There's an entire separate podcast on just Kevin Costner baseball movies that might be worth doing down the road. I got to talk to a few people, but that's part of the charm of baseball is the minor leagues. And I do kind of want to talk about baseball movies towards the end of this, because that's an interesting thing that baseball kind of uniquely translates well to movies. But in terms of the Cubs right now, talk to me about Nico Horder, because all of the Cubs fans I keep seeing, who I know and interact with on Twitter are pounding the drum that he should be in the lineup every day because he's hitting well. What's the deal? Um. Okay. So a couple months ago, I also wrote something about, Nico starting the season in Iowa because I thought he needed more time to develop. I mean, at the time, he had not played a single inning in Iowa. And so I was like, you know what? I think he needs to go down. He didn't have, he didn't put up the best stats at the plate last year. And so I thought he could use a little bit more time. But um, you compared Nico to Eric Sogard, freaking Eric Sogard. And then you're like, you know what? Nico can come back. Nico can stay. <laughs> so what is the reason he's not in the lineup? Is it there are people in front of him on the depth chart? Is it just uh, we're trying to ride this out with our veterans and we don't want to throw this young guy to the fire yet? What's the reason he's not in the lineup every day? Um. Well, he actually, after spring training or like near the end of spring training, he was optioned. Okay. And so he was just called up last week again okay. um everyone knows that he was sent down because of a service time thing like yes. <laughs> everyone knows it and so that's really why a lot of people are upset but now that he's back and up he's been in the lineup frequently um honestly i was out 
I was at work. I haven't really checked the lineup <laughs> today. I don't, I have not watched any of the Cubs game today yet. Um, all I know is that I got off and the Cubs were losing six to nothing. What does he profile as? Who would you compare him to for someone who hasn't gotten a chance to see him play yet? Do he remind you of anyone? Nico? I don't know who he reminds me of. That's something I'm like never really good at to like tell like who players remind me of just because I think so many people have their own like unique things that like set them apart um the only comparison I have off the top of my head and it's not even with Nico is how Kyle Hendricks and Zach Davies have been so similar with the fact that they don't throw hard but they're able to like produce well other than today because like I said Kyle Hendricks is not very good right now (laughs) this is an interesting thing we can talk about specifically about this between Hendricks and Davies because I read something in the athletic uh two days ago three days ago about why the Cubs pitching hasn't been working so far this year and the thing that the writer made the point of pointing out was that Kyle's best pitch has been his changeup for most of his time in the bigs. That he gets people out with it by moving it around, by taking that little bit off when you're pulling the string from that compared to his fastball. But he's getting his changeup hit this year, which is different from the last few years. I mean, I went and looked at his baseball savant. It's in the strike zone a little bit more this year than in years past. And I feel like that's something that, you know, veteran guy like Kyle who's been around, I feel like that's something that's fixable. I feel like, you know, Obviously, it's very early. Baseball season is six months long. We're three and a half weeks in. It's a little early to go jumping off of bridges, even though we as baseball fans like to do that, especially as Cubs and Mets fans. But I feel like there's plenty of time for this to get straightened out. And I feel I feel like someone like Kyle, who isn't as reliant on velocity, is more inclined to be able to figure it out by using his brain because he's shown the track record. Like, I know you've said it more than once talking about the regular lineup, but you've seen someone do something before a certain way for a period of several years that you have a track record. You think they can do this again. It's just a matter of getting to oh, the point. Sure. Yeah. Um, one thing about Hendricks, he regularly gets off to kind of a slower start, but the way he's performing right now, it's very, um, it just, <laughs> This time it feels like weird. It's not the okay. kind of slow start in the past. So that's why I'm a little bit worried about it. But like you said, he's the kind of guy that figures it out with his brain. He's very smart. I would know. I'm I know everything about Kyle Hendricks, swear to God. Oh, I believe me, I know. I'm I'm well oh, yeah. aware. Well I aware. yeah, know so much about that guy. But no, I think I think he'll get it figured out. I've faith that he'll get it figured out but it's really hard to watch right now do you feel like the fact that the entire pitching staff aside from Arietta struggling is a sign that this isn't unique to just the individuals that this might be something from a philosophical standpoint or from a team standpoint that if four of the five pitchers are struggling and the one guy who isn't struggling is someone who you know Arietta's pretty old now he's pitched for 14 years 13 years in the bigs you kind of feel like maybe this isn't just a unique to one player kind of deal the same way it is with the lineup where it's pretty much everybody hitting for just power and no average at all, that this is maybe a different kind of approach from the team because everybody is kind of going in one direction at the same time in both the lineup and the pitching staff. Um, you know, that's a good question. Um, are you, are you asking if like, 
I don't know. Maybe I'm just confused on the words. <laughs> so, because, you know, the way you're approaching things, whether it's you're hitting for power, so you're trying to focus your hitters more on launch angle to arc their swing a little bit more to try and drive the ball, mm-hmm. or from a pitching perspective, it's, well, we don't have velocity, so we're going to try and paint the corners. We're going to use our off-speed stuff. We're going to try and make guys fish at bad pitches. Do you think that philosophically that there's a reason for the, the struggles, or do you think these struggles are kind of a result of the talent? Oh, yeah. Okay. No, I get, I get what you mean now. Um, honestly, I think it's – I really do think it's both because I think you get, like – I didn't – I not played sports so i really can't speak from an athlete's perspective <laughs> you're a journalist you put the work in you say you know what you're talking you know what you're talking about though, i know right? i can't know? like yeah i can't truly get inside the mind of an athlete when i've never been an athlete myself but the way i would see it is that it is definitely both and how i personally think that like your mind will affect your talent if you absolutely convince, yeah. if you convince yourself oh I'm only going to work on like painting corners. I'm only going to try to like hit for power. And so you call your focus on those and not like any other aspects. And then that's where you start to fall behind on talent. So, like I said, I think it's fair to say that both of those have an effect on the Cubs. Yeah. I mean, because when I look at their, their lineup has talent. I've said it more than once. Like if I came into the season with that lineup, I'd feel pretty confident they would at least be competitive. The rotation, it's not great. It definitely leaves a little bit to be desired, but you could figure coming into the season that Kyle would be fine. Arietta would be a serviceable three, and then you would figure out the rest as you went. But the results haven't been great. I know you're very thankful that the Mets came to town last week and gave them a little bit of a remedy because that kind of fixed them for at least a couple of days. They actually kind of looked like the Cubs for a little bit there. So talking about the team now, how would you say the team handled the come down from winning the World Series in terms of the talent? Do you feel like they kind of were a little bit accepting of the fact, all right, we won, we can let guys leave, we can trade guys, that kind of deal? Okay, directly after the World Series, like in the 2017 season, um, I like outside of that, I really do think that the front office was kind of like just content mm-hmm. with one. I mean, we lost in the NLCS in 2017, and then they were just kind of like whatever, you know. Um, the biggest move, oh God. Definitely after 2017, I would say the biggest move that the Cubs had was Craig Kim- Kimbrell, and that mm. didn't, like, immediately pay off. Um, He was, like, notorious for his struggles in his first couple outings as a Cub. But yeah. No, I, it was rough, but. Oh, yeah, and I mean, and I have so much. I have so much to say about the Ricketts family. I just have a lot of issues with the Ricketts family. The floor is yours by all means. Oh my gosh. It's just, they've been so after 2016, they've just been incompetent, not wanting to spend money to better the team. And in the long run, that's why we're having the issues that we have right now. And it's why like tying back to what I said much earlier, this has been the exact same core for years and they're not performing anymore. Because the Ricketts family haven't they've they have not been wanting to spend the money to bring anybody in mm-hmm. from the outside. 
And so I just think, I don't know. Like I said, they're not my favorite people. They want to keep crying poor when I know they're not. I mean, like you are a freaking billionaire. (laughs) There's no, it's, uh, that's one of the things that I've long said is there needs to be a kind of public interest type deal in professional sports where after X number of years, like if you want a new stadium, the public has to be okay with it based on what you've done with the team or in the Mm -hmm. Cubs case, if you want to keep doing what you're doing, you know, you want to own the team. It's not a right. You don't have to own the team. I'm sure there's someone who'd be more than happy to buy the Cubs from the Ricketts family and actually spend money on improving the team, as opposed to just using Wrigley field as a tourist attraction and letting your most famous players age out and letting them leave once they hit free agency, which is a real possibility this offseason is letting just letting guys who were key parts of the world series team leave. I mean, it's what Bryant is a free agent. Rizzo is a free agent and Javi Baez is a free agent. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, you're talking about, you know, three of the most significant players from this era of Cubs history. I mean, that sounds kind of weird to say, cause we're still in it, but coming to terms with that and just, I don't know how you could look at that in good, in good faith and be like, it's okay. If they leave, we'll figure it out. I, I just don't understand that part of your brain at some point, you know, don't you care about what the public thinks? Don't you want to like sell out every single game of excitement? Yeah, out of um, out of all the guys that we just mentioned that are about to be free agents, the one that is going to hurt the most whenever he leaves is Anthony Rizzo. And the Cubs tried extension talks with him in this past offseason and they couldn't get anything figured out. And it's just frustrating because Anthony Rizzo has been like the heart and soul of the Cubs for years yeah I mean he just has like he is our captain without being our like our official captain and so just the fact that we could not try to negotiate an extension for him it's frustrating because he's done so much for this team he's given so much and he's not even I would understand if he was like truly truly washed up and bad now but he's not. He's still Anthony Rizzo, and he deserves an extension. But the front office not giving a whole lot of like like wiggle room with it. Okay, it's upsetting. One question I just thought of while you were talking about that: How much of this do you think the fact that it's Jed Hoyer calling the shots and not Theo anymore? Because it really did seem like for a little while there, the Cubs were inclined to spend a little bit of money because Theo kind of had their ear in term in decision making. I mean. They gave Jason Hayward like a bazillion dollars because Theo was the one giving out contracts at the time. Do you think that's part of this too, that they had Theo and they wanted to go for the World Series, so they were more inclined to spend money? Once Theo left and he took that job in the commissioner's office, do you kind of feel like Jed got the edict? Cut salary. If we win, great. If we don't win, it's fine. Figure it out going forward. Do you think that's part of this conversation as well, the uh, general manager being different? Um, in my opinion, I think that perspective from Jed is stuff that he inherited from Theo, like towards okay. the end of his time with the Cubs, because how do I, I don't know how to word this, but I mean, I think Theo knew <laughs> that his time was really up with the Cubs and especially with like everything going on. Like I said, not being able to extend these guys, he just kind of wanted to go ahead and get out. And I don't, I don't blame him. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm so thankful for Theo Epstein, by the way. I love Theo Epstein and literally I I was so young when he joined the Cubs front office, but I remember hearing my dad talk about how excited he was. And obviously, obviously it paid off in the end. But no, like I said, I definitely think it was something that was inherited like by Theo, like to Jed with the whole issue of like wanting to spend money and stuff. So if you had your choice, I, I, I'm assuming they're going to extend at least one of the three. I assume they're going to keep at least one of Javi, Bryant, and Rizzo. Reasonable to say at least one? You think at least one of them will be on the team come next year? Yeah, I think out of those three, Rizzo's the one that needs to be extended. And I just don't expect the Cubs front office to let all three of them walk away. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, I think Rizzo's the one that they need to put their focus on. I do not see Bryant staying. Okay. Well, I've been so big on like trading Bryant mm-hmm. as soon as we can. <laughs> and then Baez, I can see with Javi, I can see it going either way, not going to lie. Mm-hmm. So I'm not too sure on that one, but I know for a fact Bryant will not be here. And if he is, then, <laughs> well, what do I know? <laughs> I mean, that's part of the fun of this is the speculation, the discussion, the sport, what fuels sports talk radio 365 days a year is the fact we care this much that we're worried about something that's seven months away, like the end of October around the time of the world series. I I mean, that's part of this fun in terms of going forward. How optimistic are you that the Cubs will be competitive again, relatively soon? And when I say competitive, I just mean a playoff team. I don't mean World Series. I think the next real competitive window for the Cubs, I honestly say as early as the next, like, three years. Okay. Okay. That's just me. I think that's – at the end of the day, the Cubs don't need, like, a full-on, like, complete rebuild. We just need – there's just a lot of stuff like on the surface that needs to be fixed. And so I think it's reasonable to put three years on that. Okay. With, that. with just with some of the guys in the minor leagues, like off the top of my head, Miguel Maya is going to be up at a decent time. We have Nico up right now. And in the long run, Nico is going to be like a centerpiece of this team. Okay. Along with some other like center or not the center's not what I'm looking for, but just with some other younger guys like Edward Alzale is going to be a really crucial part to our rotation. And then obviously we have, we still have Ian Happ. I still consider him a young guy. <laughs> I know yeah. he's, I know he's been in the majors for a couple of years at this point, but um, I think Ian is someone that we need to like look into keeping for the long run. Hey, I, I, you want to talk about feeling old. I, I was looking at his baseball reference. Rizzo has been in the league 10 years. I feel ancient. Yeah. Like I remember his first game in the big leagues. I baseball especially has a way of making me feel old because it's the sport I've cared about the most for the longest in my life. And it just kind of seeing guys play their entire careers in the span of my life is just kind of like, wow, uh, this is awful. I'm getting old. And I don't, I don't have the same level of that same level of wide eyed optimism about baseball because We've seen it a lot now where it comes time for free agency and the market just kind of gives guys the shaft. They don't give them a real chance 
to get decent money on that second contract after they get out. I mean, we keep seeing it every year now where guys go to the first, second week of spring training before they even get contracts and they're playing from behind. I mean, you saw what happened. Like you mentioned it before with Kimbrell, where he didn't sign until June and he didn't have a chance because he didn't have a real lineup. He didn't have a spring training to get his season together to prepare. And he wasn't very good. And it's unfair to that veteran class of player who's in the middle tier, the not the superstar. There's always going to be a free agent market for a Brace Harper, for a Manny Machado. And if someone younger who gets there because the team doesn't tender them for whatever reason, it, they're going to have a team willing to take a chance on them because they won't be expensive. It's the guy who's going to make between 15 and 20 million that's going to get the shaft and have to take less or only get a one-year deal. And just... I feel like baseball has dramatically changed very quickly in the way teams build. And it's kind of rooted out a lot of what makes baseball baseball, because there's only like four or five teams that have a real chance of winning the world series now. And I feel like that's very different from what I was younger, where there were like eight or nine teams every year that I could see an argument for them being very good. Whereas now it's basically just the Padres and Dodgers. And if the Yankees feel like winning the Yankees. Mm-hmm. In terms of where the Cubs fit in going forward, how do you feel about them in relation to the rest of the NL Central, the Cardinals, the Brewers, and I have to say the Pirates and the Reds, but not really not really a major concern, the Pirates and the Reds. Oh, yeah. The funny thing about the NL Central, and I know you, whenever we were talking about the Cubs, like, window, and, like, when I see them being competitive again, um, funny thing is, the Cubs could easily make the playoffs this year because of the way the NL central is like, there is not a great team in the NL central. Yeah. And so really it's going to be between the Cubs brewers and Cardinals for whoever wins the central. And then literally any of all three of those teams are going to lose in the first round. So whatever, but no, it's just funny because you asked when I think the Cubs can be like a playoff team again. I'm like, well, I think they can be one now because there's no one really to compete with i mean obviously yes they are competing but it's just to see who's like who gets killed by the padres or the dodgers i just mixed up the first letter of both of those words i did the yeah uh, but um yeah no i i mean the cubs made the playoffs last year uh by the skin of their teeth really i mean i i don't know how their pitching was amazing that's really it darvish was incredible oh yeah no like I said, um, one thing that has always, or that has been a struggle for the Cubs for the past couple offs or not off seasons seasons was having a consistent offense. Mm-hmm. So one last thing in this part of the conversation, how different has having Ross as your manager been from having Joe Madden as your manager in terms of your outlook on the team, how the team is played, because they're very different people. They're very, yeah. very different people. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm always going to be thankful for Joe Madden in mm-hmm. the sense that we won a World Series with Joe Madden. But definitely towards the end, it was time. Like, the team just outgrew him. Okay. And bringing in David Ross, I was real skeptical on David Ross, actually, because I was like, Mm, I don't really know how this is going to work. Like he literally just played for all, like played with all these guys a couple seasons ago. Now he's in that kind of role, but I still think he has a lot of learning to do, but I think 
I really do think the Cubs enjoy having Ross as their manager. I really have enjoyed having Ross as the manager. I think he did a fine job last year. I mean, he, at the end of the day, he did bring them to the playoffs. Okay. So you said he has a little bit to learn in terms of learn. Do you mean just game management stuff or like lineup decision stuff? What do you feel like he still has to improve on? I would say, I would definitely say like just game management. Okay. In terms of like what pitcher to bring in in what situation, when to oh, pull yeah. someone out, that kind of thing. It's like bullpen management, pitching management. I mean, that, I was, feel, that was something Madden had a huge issue with. I mean, I feel like every manager is kind of bad with the bullpen. I mean, no matter what team I talk to, I feel like everyone kind of hates the way their manager uses the bullpen. I, I My Yankee fan friends are losing their mind with Aaron Boone. I know me and my Met fan friends are very skeptical of Miguel Rojas. I oh, know yeah. He, I know even every, the, I know every he, fan hates the way their bullpen gets managed. It's funny, but that because I feel like that's one of those things that even us as non-experts have a better feel for sometimes than what managers actually do. Oh I, yeah, for sure. I, I, I feel like at some point common sense needs to be part of the equation. No, I know you it's insane how like just there's no critical thinking sometimes. <laughs> At a professional level. Uh, it's truly one of the amazing things about professional sports, about how little little critical thinking there is from people whose job it is to be professional decision makers. I'm, I, they're just reading off the sheet in front of them. Left-handed pitcher, second time through lineup. Okay, he can pitch to the next batter. And instead of being like, well, he's gotten hit hard the last three at-bats. Maybe we should start thinking about getting him. No, it's fine. The sheet says keep him in. I, I appreciate analytics. I use baseball savant. I use, I like war. I like OPS. I like all of these things. These are very helpful. But part of what makes baseball baseball is that instinctual feeling. I, I, I know it's very cliche and it's a very baseball movie thing, but the manager having the gut feeling is, that's part of the thing. That's part of what makes a good manager is being able to have a feel for these things more often than not. I feel like that's something I could count on when I was watching the Joe Madden Cubs, that more often than not, he would make the right decision and that would help them win. They were a pretty successful team under his stewardship when the team had a decent roster. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned in that part about Joe Madden that the team had outgrown him. What do you mean by that? I know that's a difficult question. Um, honestly, I just, in my opinion, I think sometimes they just outgrow someone's like, managing style okay and that's just what i think happened i it, he'd been around for a couple of years at that point and it was just he didn't have the effect on them the way that he did whenever he first got there and okay. i could and honestly like watching the team i could tell that they weren't like really connecting with madden as much as they used to be so, so it's hard for me to put into words but that's pretty much what i mean when i just say that i think the cubs outgrew him they just okay. weren't he just wasn't connecting with the guys as well as he used to. What would you describe Ross's managerial style as? Is he very laid back? Is he a little bit of the rah-rah kind of guy where he's going to bang on his chest and fire the guys up? What kind of manager is he? Um, honestly, I think I've kind of seen both sides of him, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it helps as – or like when you consider the fact that he was literally a player yeah. five years ago, like he 
wore this uniform five years ago. He was like on that bench five years ago. And so he, it's easier for him to put himself into those shoes because he was so recent. And like I said earlier, he played with so many of those guys. So um, I definitely see both from him and it's definitely easy for him to get the players like excited and riled up. Okay. Okay. So let's open it up a little bit more big picture. Now, how do you feel about the state of baseball in terms of just how healthy it is? Is it going in the right direction? If we get, (laughs) if we get Ron Manfred out of his job, we can get baseball in the right direction. Okay. So uh, explain, elaborate. What don't you like about what the way the commissioners handle things, the direction of baseball? My a huge issue I have with um, not, not just Rob Manfred, but just like baseball in general is how they just can't market their stars. Mm-hmm. There's a, always a discussion going on like, oh, who's the face of baseball? There's not a face of baseball because they can't market anybody. Yeah. You, know, you, you have, have your opinion on who it is. Like, oh, it's Mike Trout. Oh, it's Tatis Jr., there's not a there's not a face because casual fans will are not going to know Mike Trout. People that don't know baseball are not going to know who Mike Trout is. I was talking to someone at work the other day, and he was like, "Yeah, I don't really know baseball. I can only name like two people ever, and it's Babe Ruth and Albert Pujols." And I was like, "Not even like one of the best, like a couple of the best players right now. Like that's just how bad baseball is at marketing." I so will. That- Oh, sorry. What were you saying? No, I was going to say, I will say that baseball is back commercial. The first week of the season with like every star from all of the big teams was good. That was a way to get recognizable faces in front of people. You have Pete Alonzo, you had Acuna, you had Tatis, you had a bunch of faces. And one of the interesting things we're seeing in baseball right now is all of the, I'd say the biggest stars aren't necessarily the absolute best player. I think Mike Trout enjoys the fact he kind of has anonymity and the Angels are not making the playoffs, so he can just go to Eagles home games every fall. I know he very much enjoys going to Eagles games. And I feel like there's a conscious effort right now from people on our side of the glass who are in sports media to really, we're really hammering the drum on Tatis, on Acuna, And I think these are very good focal points for baseball because they're both very exciting. They both hit a lot of home runs, which I think is the easiest thing to translate to the casual fan. Uh, They hit the ball very far. You should watch them do it. That's a very easy thing to translate to people. They hit the ball very hard and they hit it very far. They're like, cool, awesome. If you were in charge of baseball for – Let's say a day. What would be the one thing you would want to do? Just a crazy marketing campaign? Just in every market, there's a baseball team. You'd want to slap the biggest name on that team in a commercial kind of deal? Or would it be a little bit something about the style of the game? Where I know me and my friends have said for like three years now, you can't have the shift no matter what. You got to have two guys on each side of second base. What kind of things would you do as commissioner, Maddie? Um, If I was commissioner for a day, I would implement universal dh okay good answer and then i would get rid of that stupid runner on second rule and extras that's a good i will say the argument for the runner on second base was the sunday night baseball game this past week between the dodgers and padres because i was glued to my tv for a solid extra hour because i was like who's gonna win the game who's gonna win the game and it went on and on and on 
And yes, it's artificial drama. It's fake drama. It's unnecessary. Baseball's supposed to be able to go on forever. That's part of it. But at the same time, when it's at least good teams, I enjoy it because it was very tense. I think that's one thing that baseball is good at, especially is tense moments like playoff baseball. You're just sitting there for three and a half hours, biting your hands with stress. I think that's one thing baseball does very well is drama. And it really is stressful. For sure. And um, maybe I'm in the minority on this one, but I love extra inning baseball games. I love, I love free baseball. I love watching long baseball games. I just think it's so cool. Maybe it's just because I really do love baseball. It's not my favorite thing when the Cubs are playing a West coast team yeah. and those games go into extras because the games start at nine o'clock my time. But regardless, I. Oh no, you're in the majority. I was just making a devil's advocate argument because the Dodgers project game was fun. I, I know a lot of people are like, mm, I really don't want to stay up and watch like a game that goes to 15 innings. And I'm like, I do. I remember <laughs> you just, there was that Yankees Cubs game on Sunday night baseball, yes. like four or five years ago that went to like the 16th or 17th inning that I wasn't even actively watching. I saw people tweeting about it and I was like, all right, I guess I'll put this on. It oh, was yeah. like three 30 in the morning. I was like, well, I have class in three hours. I should probably go to bed. And then I was like, you know what? More baseball, more baseball, please. This is I didn't, good. Even, I didn't watch the full thing. I had school the next day. I was in eighth grade for that game. I remember it. <laughs> God, this podcast is aging me. I feel like the guy at the end of te- at the end of the last crusade who turns into a skeleton having this conversation. This isn't great. Okay. Do you feel like the way baseball is played right now is fun, where it's only strikeouts, walks, and home runs? Or do you feel like we kind of need to tweak it a little bit? I, yeah, actually, I think there needs to be some tweaking. Um, obviously, I love a good home run. I love a good, like, complete, like, missile. <laughs> you know? But watching teams, watching, like, offense, just, like, manufacture runs in the littlest ways, I enjoy it. I really enjoy watching that. Um, I do like the pitching right now, if that makes sense. Yeah. You, know, you, you mentioned with just like strikeouts. I almost, I do like strikeouts a lot. Not, not when the Cubs personally no, strike out. Strike out people. It's awesome. <laughs> you know I, what I, I, mean? I entirely understand what you mean. I mean, the way the game is, there are definitely a lot of lulls in the action where there's not a ball being put in play. There's a lot of just flyouts and stuff. But mm-hmm. when a pitcher is dealing, it is oh. awesome. Like last Saturday, when we had Cole versus Bieber, that was awesome. Just watching two aces go back and forth, and there were three total runs in the game. We're watching DeGrom on Friday night against the Nationals just pulverize them into oblivion. I mean – throwing a two-hit complete game shutout. Just when a pitcher is on, that's exciting. That is one of the things I think that makes part of why baseball being the way it is right now, not really the most appealing thing, but I understand why baseball is the way it is right now because teams have determined this is the most efficient way to play is to try and draw walks and hit home runs. It's easier to do this than to try and manufacture runs. It's not as entertaining to watch but it is a more efficient way of playing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just a, two more things before I get you out of here. What is your favorite baseball movie? Um, a League of Their Own, and then I love Bull Durham, too. <laughs> okay. 
Those are very, those are good answers. Those are my good top answers. three. My top three would be those two and then Moneyball. Okay. A, a fellow follower. Okay. Moneyball is so good. I, Brad Pitt's best movie. I'll die on that hill. It's Brad Pitt's oh best movie. Oh my, Moneyball was great. I don't even um, like Brad Pitt that much, but I think he was really <laughs> Moneyball. <laughs> He plays the disaffected ex-jock who hates everyone very well. Uh, he did a very good job of conveying that level of just, you guys are all the reason I hate my life. I, I think I think that's part of the problem. And the book is very good. I very much so recommend the book if you haven't read the book. Oh, I definitely need to read the book. I'm trying to get back into reading. <laughs> I say that I say that all the time, but now that it's almost summer, because my schedule right now. Hectic. My schedule now, I wake up at seven, go to school at eight, go directly to work, get home at like 8.30 or nine. And then I don't want to do anything. I don't want to take the time to read. Um, I work in retail too. So I have my weekends taken up working in retail. So I just don't really have energy to want to do anything other than like lay down and play on my phone when I have downtime. So I don't read that much right now. <laughs> it's understandable. It's something you got to actively pursue. Moneyball is definitely worth reading. It's a good way. It, it'll expand the way you think about baseball, which is basically all I look for in sports book is just sports books I read is just kind of expanding the way I think, trying to learn, be able to look at things from a different perspective, that kind of thing. Okay. The last question I have for you before I get you out of here. If I had to ask you what place the Cubs finish in the Edel Central this year, your answer would be? I said, okay, I did say this earlier, how I think literally any of the three teams I mentioned could win the Central, but if the okay. Cubs don't win the Central, I don't see them finishing any lower than third. Okay. That's a conservative estimation. I think third place is a third place is doable. I think the Cubs will. I don't think they're play. They are as bad as they are playing right now. I mean, I've only watched them a handful of times. I watched them most last week because I knew we were doing the show this week, and I wanted to kind of have a clue of what we were talking about and been able to see them with my own eyes. But I definitely feel like there's plenty of room for them to kind of round into form. I mean, they have five guys in their lineup hitting lower than two thirty. I I don't expect that to carry on for the entire season. I expect them to hit a little bit better. I expect them to get Nico Horner in the lineup a little bit more. He'll hit. I, they're not as bad as they've played. The, the rotation needs to straighten out. I think really will go a long way because they'll hit their home runs, even if they don't hit for great average. It's just a matter of figuring out two to three consistent starters. I think that's the biggest key is getting the pitching staff sorted out. Oh, yeah, for sure. And um, I said this a long time ago, like earlier, but um, a lot of guys are going to be on the trade block. And so mm -hmm. that's something you have to take into consideration whenever you try to think how the Cubs are going to finish this season. But I do not see them finishing any lower than third place. That's reasonable. I, I, I think I think in my preseason pool I did with my friends, I had them finishing second to St. Louis, if I remember correctly. I feel like St. Louis is the most talented of the three teams, but they're just not very consistent. And right. it's one of those things. Baseball is very weird. Baseball oh, yeah. is – I've said it more than once in this episode alone. Weird things happen in baseball. We saw a Cubs team that wasn't particularly good last year win the NL Central – because baseball is weird and that was only 60 games over a full season. We'll see what happens. For sure. 
Do you want to plug the Basically Baseball podcast a little bit, Maddie, before I get yes. you out of here? Yes. Okay. So we have taken kind of a break right now. Um, we are just a group of students, so it's <laughs> we have really hectic schedules, and it's been harder for us to get together. But I do have my own podcast with a group of girls. We're just called Basically Baseball, and um, it's at – you can find us on Twitter at BasicallyPod. What's and the then- vibe? What's the vibe of the podcast? Give us oh, a little flavor. Yeah. Total, total chaos. We're, like I said, we're just a group of like, we're a group of students and we get together, talk about baseball. And it's very easy for us to find like other connections to baseball and what we talk about. Like, I'm, I know recently we did an episode where we ended up getting on a tangent talking about players' dogs. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just super lighthearted. We love we like to break down what's going on in the baseball world, give our little opinions on it. It's a light vibe. You're, you're, yeah. It's a light, it's fun. That I, we need more fun. I, I know I kind of get on my high horse and I go through the stats and I get a little bit nerdy on here, but having a nice lighthearted baseball podcast is very nice. They're, yeah, It's one of the things that I think younger people in sports media are really doing a good job of that the legacy media isn't doing particularly well is making sports content easy to engage with where it's not as serious. It's not as, I don't want to say monotonous because that's not the right word, but that kind of stern voice where I think that's one of the things that basketball has really done a good job of that the media, the personalities in media that are big with basketball is they've made it fun. I think that as people who are in our age bracket get more into those legacy organizations and we can make things, make podcasts, make videos, make blogs, make columns that are fun, it'll make the sports more accessible to younger people. I think if we want baseball to keep being baseball, we need to incorporate young people more. Oh, for sure. And um, no, like we both said, basically baseball is just super lighthearted. Yes, we do talk about like some of the analytics of baseball, but like I said, we also like to talk about dogs sometimes. <laughs> it's a Thank good, so it's a good mix. Sorry. It, it is. No, I, hey, I had one of my friends come on here like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and we've been more or less spent an hour and a half talking about how, why hockey's stupid, how she started making fan cams and random hockey lore. So. Oh, I love fan cams. I love making They're so them. fun. The Kyle hit fan cam that floats around. That Did you make I, that one? Yeah. I made it. <laughs> yeah, the one that I floats have, around. So great. I have, no, I have two I made, but there's one that I regularly share. Anyway, Stan Kyle Hendricks. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, Maddie. Thank you so much for having me. I always have a good time when I'm on here. It's always good to shoot the shit. Maybe we'll talk about Taylor Swift next time. We can do a whole. I have a feeling she's announcing something tomorrow. I, I keep seeing those tweets. I'm living in fear. Between the draft, Taylor Swift, there's too much going on. There's I'm way too much going on. I know. 1989 will... is coming soon. She has Wildest Dreams already re recorded because it was in like a, a trailer. trailer. Yeah. Movie. I mean, that's how she teased Love Story. That was in the commercial for that dating yeah. app. Thank you again to Maddie for coming on. She'll be back at some point a little bit later on, whether whether or not the Cubs have had a sell-off or not, or the Cubs have rebounded, or we're just going to bask in the misery of being in fourth or fifth place in the NL Central. That's up to the Cubs. I will see you guys next time.